time of year when people think renewal. They think new. They think, oh, you know, let's make a change. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I get questions I get asked a lot about is real estate. Is, Is this a good time to sell? Is this a good time to buy? How do I find a good mortgage? Where do I begin? So I'm so glad that you, all three of us, get to be together today so that we can talk about this. My name is Terry Nicholas. I am the owner and founder of The Wealth Coach for Women, located in Rockland, Massachusetts, where I empower women with smart money strategies. And today I am joined by Montana Aldridge and Tina Davis-Sharuna um, to talk about real estate, mortgages, and all things money-related And our mission and goal is to help you make smart money decisions and avoid all of the jargon and all of the misinformation so that you can move forward with whatever it is you want to do. So, Tina, what are you seeing out there? I know we hear all kinds of stories about properties being purchased for like $200,000 over ask and all that craziness. Is it true? Um, Unfortunately, it is is true. it's not necessarily as true now. Um, there have been, um, there's a little bit more inventory, which is very helpful. Um, that has been the, our biggest problem in real estate. Um, there's so many buyers and there's so little inventory. Um, and because of that, there's so much competition. So many people are um, competing for that same house. So it's just causing all this excitement and it's just really making the prices go up even more. Um, so, yeah, it's it happens. Um, am I seeing 200000 Not necessarily, but I am still seeing, you know, 40, 50, upwards of 100000 over asking price still this past week. Wow. In Montana, how do you handle that when it comes to a mortgage? I mean, what, what is the criteria if somebody decides that they're going to buy this house, they put the offer in, it's 100000 over ask? What happens as far as um, getting the property comped? Right. So my name's Montana Aldridge, and I'm a mortgage lender at Homebridge Financial Services, and that's a great question. And while inventory is low, I still think it is a great time to buy because interest rates are low over the last few months. In the beginning of 2022, we've seen them begin rising. Uh, they're still at historical lows. I mean, you probably both of you remember when interest rates used to be 16, 17, 18%. Um, and so right now, there are on, of course, a lot of factors, um, such as your debts versus your income versus your credit score versus your assets. All of those factors make up your interest rate. Uh, So everyone qualifies for different interest rates, but right now, I'd say generally speaking, interest rates are in the low fours. Um, And so to answer your question, what do you do if, you know, the property is selling for over asking, and then we order an appraisal, and the comps, you know, it's it appraises for much less than what the purchase price is on the contract. Um, we as lenders have to lend on the lower of the appraisal and the purchase price. So, what happens if you go to buy a home and you're going to offer four fifty, but then we get an appraisal, and the appraisal comes in at four hundred? Well, now we have to lend as lenders legally. We have to lend on the lower, so we have to lend on that four hundred. Um, but you're buying the home for four fifty. So what are you supposed to do? Well, now you have a problem. You either need to get the sellers to come down to that four hundred, or I can lend you the, the loan amount based on four hundred. But now you're going to have to bring fifty thousand dollars to closing. Right. 
So what? So with that, if let's say that's a good scenario, somebody offers four fifty, it's accepted, but the property appraises at four hundred. So if you're lending to them uh, and they are doing an eighty twenty mortgage, they're going to have to do eighty percent of the four hundred. Correct. Otherwise, they have PMI. Correct. Oh wow. Yeah. And so another, you know. A myth is that you have to put down 20% when you go to buy a home. And so that that is a myth, and so, sometimes it's true, and then other times it's not true. You don't always have to put down 20%. The reason, or I guess the way that that myth was birthed, really, is because once you put down 20% on a conventional loan, you don't have to pay PMI, which is private mortgage insurance. But if you put down less than 20%, you can certainly do that. You're just going to have to pay private monthly mortgage insurance each month until the property reaches 20% equity. And is that an automatic or is that something you have to stay on top of? Um, It is something that happens automatically. Um, It happens automatically once you reach 78% LTV. Um, But if you reach out to your lender when you're at 80% LTV, you can get it take it off a little bit early. Now, I remember in 2006, 2017, and Tina, I know you've been doing real estate a long time, so you might remember this as well. People would try to do that refinancing to get that, you know, the private mortgage insurance eliminated from their monthly payment, but they bought in a bubble, and then they're going to refinance, and this is when property values had plummeted. So, how does that work? Let's say you bought that $450,000 house, and now you go to refinance to get rid of the, prop, the private mortgage insurance, and it appraises out at three fifty. What happens? You're still considered borrowing more than what it's worth, so do they make the adjustment or no? They actually would not make that adjustment, no, because, I mean, whatever the property is valued at in the most recent appraisal and looking at most recent comps, you wouldn't be able to have that PMI. Okay. Taken. So when I'm working with somebody, it's something that I really need to caution them on, that when it comes to that purchase, and I remember vividly people in that time frame, like between 2007 and at least 2010, if not later, that they would go to refinance, and that's when a lot of people were losing their homes because their property, they were underwater, and they couldn't refinance, and they were just really up against it. So, Tina, in your experience in real estate, how do you advise them? How do you help them through that? Well, I was not in real estate at that time, so I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is now that we, any, the forecasts are that, property values are not going to plummet, um, that there is still such a great amount of buyers and more inventory to be coming out, that that shouldn't be, again, nothing is guaranteed, but that is something that we're being told by the experts that that is not going to happen. Property values are going to maintain their value. So when people are putting in over-asking and putting in those, um, and it's appraising, then there isn't a, a concern. Um, could that happen, perhaps? But at this point, what we're being told is that's not what it's forecasted and not what it looks like should happen. 
Um, so people are making smart decisions, you know, when they're buying their house. And, you know, I think they're looking at overall and they're having those conversations with their lender. They're having the conversations with someone such as yourself, like, okay, I know it's going to cost this amount per month for my mortgage, but I still want to be able to do other things. So is it smart for me to ask this much over asking? Is it smart to have that higher mortgage payment? Or should maybe we think about maybe not perhaps purchasing this home, maybe purchasing something a little bit, you know, in a lower price bracket, and then having that flexibility to do other things with our with our finance or vacation or whatnot, whatever the scenario is. Right. Right. No, that, that is a tough scenario, and I'm sure you run into that all the time, Montana. Yeah, and, and, and actually, I think this is something that you, Terry, can speak on as a financial advisor, financial planner. Um, I recently had a client ask me, um, for those of you who don't know, a conventional loan product requires that you have a 45 or lower DTI. All a DTI is is a debt-to-income ratio. So mm-hmm. all of your monthly debts divided by your monthly income, gross income, <laughs> uh, that number has to be below 45%. So I had this client who was around like a 35%, so they fit within the guidelines, and they asked me, do you think that this monthly payment, do you think I can handle this monthly payment? And I, of course, answered with, well, due to guidelines, from a guideline perspective, you are below the 45. So as a lender, we are comfortable with lending you this money because you're below that 45 threshold. But are you comfortable with spending that much monthly? So that's something that they have to, you know, discuss with their partner and, um, also something that they might want to discuss with someone like Terry. So, Terry, can you speak on how much people should be spending a month on their monthly mortgage? That's a great question, Montana, and I know I run into this with realtors calling me, asking me those questions, and it really is so personal because what is comfortable for you and what's comfortable for me are going to be two different things. So I'll give you an example. I have a a client who she just was like the stars were aligned. She was working for a company. The company was bought out, so as a result, she got some equity of the company as a lump sum. So she had this large amount of money, and she's in her 40s, and her friends were like, oh, buy Bitcoin, you know, do all these things, travel around the world. And she's got her boots on the ground. And she called me, and she said, I need someone to hold my hand. I don't know what to do with this money. And I said, well, what does your heart tell you? And she said, I really want to buy a home. I said, okay, then that's the direction we're going to go in. So I crunched some numbers for her. We had very lengthy conversations of this is, you know, this is the income that you're bringing into the house. Of this income, you already have X amount allocated for your lifestyle, and then this is your surplus after that. Are you comfortable taking, like, this amount of surplus and using it towards a mortgage? And she said no. She said, I would be very uncomfortable having that portion of my income dedicated to something that has a 30-year commitment. So we went back to the drawing board, and we refigured things and came up with a figure that she was comfortable with. And then when she went out looking for a house, that's what she was basing her search on, was finding something that was going to fit as close to that model as she could. And she found it. And... She So it meant taking more of this lump sum that she had, which she was fine with that, putting that down on the house to get that mortgage to the number that she was comfortable with. But I think had we not done that work 
either she never would have bought because she wouldn't have known where to begin, or she could have gotten herself into a position and then had a severe case of buyer's remorse. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that that's something, that's why it's so important for Tina and I to have those conversations with our borrowers, with our clients. Um, Because you might have some clients who don't have too much in savings, but they truly need to get into a home, and so they're going to be putting less money down, but then they have a higher monthly payment. Then you have other clients, like the client that you had, Terry, where she's okay with putting more money down so that she can spend less each month on right. her monthly mortgage. Right. Um, and there's all different types of tactics that we can use, right. such as there's you know this term called buying down your rate. So if you have a lower interest rate, your monthly payment's going to be lower. You're paying less interest on your mortgage. Right. Um, and so an option that a lot of my borrowers um, decide to take and utilize is buying down their interest rates. So when you buy down your interest rate, you're paying a one-time fee at closing to get a lower interest rate, which will ultimately make your monthly payment lower. Save you in the long run. Right. And there again, all of that is so personal, and that's where the work that all three of us do, it's so important to really know your client because what's a good fit for you know, client number one is not going to be a good fit for client number two. So having that ability to customize a program for them is essential, not only for our personal satisfaction in the business that we do, but it's also for their satisfaction and their feeling that they're making really good choices. And that's the thing I see all the time is that so many people have buyer's remorse when they're making a major purchase. And I think it's because they're not getting guidance. They're either trying to do everything online or using like a robo-type advisor or they go out and buy a home. They don't have a buyer's agent. Mm -hmm. They, you know, maybe buy, you know, for sale by owner. So they've got nobody navigating. There's nobody at the rudder and there's no one at the wheel. Exactly. And then they, you know, they wonder why they're in a mess. And it happens all the time. Right, yeah. I think it's so important that we all, and we all do do this, you know, we really hold our buyer's hands and walk them through that finish line. And I'd say my favorite, you know, part about my job is not only walking them through that finish line or to that finish line, but, like, the journey of preparing them and getting to meet with them. And I hold these consultations. They're my first-time buyer consultations. And I should say they're just buyer consultations in general because whether you're a first-time home buyer or buying your second home or an investment property, um, if you'd like to sit down with me and talk about the process and talk about where you're at and create a solid plan for getting to that finish line, um, I host what are called lattes and loans consultations. So you email me and we set up a time to meet at a coffee shop of your choice. Um, And Terry and Tina also will tag along if you'd like them to. And we really talk about building a plan so that we can get you to that finish line. And that's, that's great, Montana, because I think that planning is really the key. Absolutely. You know, these are big you – know, I, and I can use myself as an example, Tina. You can probably relate to this. My, the first time I bought a house was in 1979. And this was before you had buyer agents. I mean, you were really like almost buying it on handshake. And we lucked out because we really got a great house. The mistake we made was we sold it six years later, thinking we knew everything, you know. And even in that short period of time, things had changed so much. 
And the second house that we bought was, we, we never should have bought it. We should have just stayed where we were. But when I think back to that whole process, and I think back to that first home that we bought, and how kind the realtor was to us. I mean, she was so helpful. And, you know, we were just a young couple. And, and she walked us step by step by step through everything. And then we went to our local bank. They didn't have mortgage brokers like yourself at the time. They just right. went to the bank if you wanted a mortgage. And the mortgage, the, the bank that we were dealing with was just a little local community bank. It was our credit union, I think. And we went there, and it was almost like a handshake. It's like, oh, yeah, I know your grandfather, I know your father, I know this. I, you know, we lived in the same community our whole life, so everybody knew us. And you had that feeling like people were watching over you. And I think that when I look at how much is done right now over the Internet and just using, you know, like, you know, online banks that you don't even know who you're talking to, you know, doing these online transactions, and this is such a huge transaction and like when we bought that house i think if we spent two hours in the house before we bought it, it that's probably an exaggeration and you're making this major life change and you i spend more time picking out a dress you know? right. Yeah. right right exactly. right exactly yeah. exactly i mean and i even tina can definitely speak on this i have gotten borrowers because they were pre-approved they're about to make an offer on this property and the seller agent looks at their pre-approval letter, and a pre-approval letter basically states that you qualify the loan amount that you qualify for, and it's signed by your lender. Um, but the, the selling agent will look at this pre-approval letter and say, "Up, oh, quick and loan. This is a quick and loans pre-approval. You need to go and get pre-approved by a local lender." And so then they come to me, and I pre-approve them. Um, but Tina, will it, can you speak on that? Why would they maybe say? Why, as a realtor, would you say, "I don't want to"? Well, I think there's something to be said about a local lender, um, being able to reach them, whether it's, you know, it's not just a Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, or even 9 to 4 type of business. Um, with a local lender, you have that relationship. You actually can reach them at off hours on a Saturday if need be, if you need something updated, if you're in the middle of negotiations and you have a question, you know you're up against multiple offers and you're trying, you know, the, the list agent comes back to you and says, okay, we're in a situation, we're looking for final and best. And you've already had the conversation with your client that you really think, you know, you need to put your best foot forward. But they are really thinking, oh, I might have been pre-approved for a little bit more, but I'm not sure I wanted to, but I really want this house. So I need to speak to Montana, for example. If we're working with a lender that's not local, you won't be able to make that phone call. You're not going to have that conversation. And unfortunately, you probably will lose out on that, um, that deal because you're not going to be able to put your best foot forward. So having that relationship, having somebody be local, and having your real estate, uh, your agent, being able to have that team behind them, like we all work together, is crucial in this market. Um, I think it's so important you need to work with, as Terry had spoken earlier, if you're looking to buy, you need to have a buyer's agent. That buyer's agent is working with you and for you. They should be an expert in what they do, and they're going to know how to really protect you, make sure that that offer is a strong offer and that you're really putting your best foot forward. So I think that's the important thing is having that crucial team behind you and having somebody be local where 
I can go to your office. I can pick up the phone. I can FaceTime you if I had to. You know, I mean, I know that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's just having that, knowing that you are local, that you're there. And even if, you know, not that we're going to take advantage of that, but if it's, you know, we're, we're on a, an offer deadline and I need an updated pre-approval letter, I know that I can call you at or text you at 8 o'clock and be like, oh, my gosh, can you please, our offer deadline is 9 p.m. tonight. And I know that sounds crazy, but some some yeah. agents will make a 9 o'clock p.m. deadline sure. because it's a final and best. Right. So. Especially with inventory low and in such a competitive market. Absolutely. You know, getting things in a timely manner are going to, it's be, crucial. to be crucial. It's right. crucial. And you spoke about, you know, using a local a local lender um, and how that's important. I think it's also important to use a local real estate agent and a real estate agent that is not necessarily involved in the community, um, but you, you know, you're working with another real estate agent. So you have a buyer's agent and you have a seller's agent. And if that seller's agent gets 10 offers and they've worked with all of the realtors before and they know who works best and who maybe doesn't work as so fast, exactly. they're going to choose the realtor that they've worked with before, or maybe not that they've worked with before, but they that they have a good relationship with. They have a good relationship with, and I think that's something, obviously the seller's going to make that final decision of the offer that they're going to make, but I think as a seller's agent, your job is to help guide your client to make the best decision. So what you're doing is you're presenting all of the, you know, the offer comes in your, it's not just about who's offering the most amount of money, it's about who has the best terms. Yes, it sometimes is about the money, but that's just part of it. And then also, is this transaction going to go to close? Is this an easy, is this going to be an easy transaction? Most sellers want this to be as easy and simple, as quick, you know, as a seller's agent, your job is to get your client the most amount of money in the least amount of time. And as a buyer's agent, your job is to get your client home for the least amount of money in the quickest amount of time. So you really, that's the opposite. So really, truly what you're working with as a seller's agent, you know, they want to have those good relationships. They want to make sure that this, the bottom line is, I think all of us, our ultimate goal is to get you to the finish line. Whether you're representing the sellers, you're representing the buyers, we all have the same goal. We want to get your seller to wherever their next move is or whatever they're doing, and the buyer getting them in their home. That's the ultimate goal. There's nothing more fulfilling and satisfying at the end of the day having them sign those papers and handing over their keys. That's right. why I do what I do. Exactly. So. And it takes teamwork. So it does. We all want to get the borrower to the closing table. So, you know, it takes right. teamwork, whether it is your financial advisor and your financial planner working mm-hmm. with the real estate, working with you, mm-hmm. um, and then the real estate agent working with the lender, mm-hmm. you know, and, and also working with the title attorney. And Absolutely. it's great to have that team behind your borrower because we all want what's best Well, nobody for wants the deal to unravel at the table. Absolutely not. You know, or even anywhere in the transaction because it's very painful. It's You know, awful. you're talking about, you know, we look at it from a business perspective that it is a, it's a transaction, but it's a transaction of property into a home. Right. And so when I'm working with my client, I'm looking at it from the home mindset. Because they're looking, and a goal mindset, like they come to me with their list of goals, and if one of their goals is I want to buy a home, they generally don't say to me, I want to invest in property. They usually say, I want to buy a home. That's a whole different, different. whole different atmosphere, whole different concept. And for me, to help them identify how much they can comfortably spend, 
you know, looking at the whole price because you have to look at the taxes, you have to look at upkeep and all those kinds of things. It's not like one, just one number. And then making sure that they're working with really good people that are going to support them because it's like a three-legged stool. And without one leg, it really doesn't work well. And when I hear that they're looking, they're, you know, doing all this online stuff, I work very hard to discourage that because I know that unless they have really, really deep pockets of a, buying a house for cash or something like that, chances are they're going to need those folks behind them in order to really make this work. Yeah, and, and not only will you need our knowledge, but I think a lot of the time you need our comfort. So right. I think like a lot, a lot, you know, it's funny. I always say we use so much psychology in our jobs because we truly do. We're dealing with people. And that's what I love about it is that I get to work with people and learn about you and your past and your journey where you're going and build that relationship with people. Um, that's, that's super fun and fulfilling for me. Um, so not only do you, are you going to use us for our knowledge, but you'll use us for comfort too. Right. It can exactly. be scary. It's very emotional. And again, for most people, this is the biggest purchase that they're ever going to make in their life, their largest asset. Mm -hmm. And for some people, they work their whole lives to have the American dream of being a homeowner, having home ownership. And, you know, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, or beyond, you know, for some people, they've always rented their entire life. They didn't think that home ownership was even a possibility for them. They never felt that that would be something. So to actually have a conversation with somebody like Terry and realize, like, wow, this whole I, – I, I, there's a possibility that I could actually have this, this dream and this could happen – um, and then working with Montana to say, okay, these are the numbers I feel comfortable with. And then when they come to me, I always question, you know, is this the number that you're comfortable with? And I can't tell you how much to offer on home. I can only guide you as to, well, this is how much something has sold in this neighborhood. Or, and recently this is what the comps are showing that the houses in the area have sold for. But what do you feel comfortable with? And right. what is your, you know, what putting your best foot forward if you put the offer in and you don't get it, are you okay with that? And if you're not, then what number makes you comfortable so that perhaps you have an opportunity so that you might win that bid and you might have this house and this will be your forever home? Exactly. And right. you know, and the, that number is so personal and it's so up mm -hmm. to the borrower. A lot of my clients fall into this category where I always say, hey, like you have, you have a problem, but it's a great problem to have because you qualify for more mm -hmm. than you even want to spend. And I always say that's such a great problem to it's have and you should so be great. so proud of yourself Absolutely. because you qualify for maybe a million dollars, but you're not comfortable with that monthly payment. Mm -hmm. So instead you're going to be, you know, you're truly capped out at around 600. That's Six, seven, and you're with. comfortable with that. And that's great. Right. Um, so it's just important that we have those conversations and Absolutely. that you're truly being honest um, with me, but also like most importantly, you're being honest with your realtor so she knows, mm -hmm. you know, Right. Because the number that I'm told is really the number that I'm looking at for you. And especially in this market, um, if you're pre-approved for $400,000, i am not going to show you anything that's over $400,000. Honestly, I'm probably going to show you something that's a little bit under four, just because there's so much competition, and that will give you a little bit more flexibility. If you do want to put your best foot forward, you know that you have buying power where you're comfortable, and you've been pre-approved up to four hundred. dollars um, 
I'm personally, I'm not going to show something, especially in this market, to someone that's over their price point. They might want me to, and then I'll have to have that conversation and say, you know, I understand, but I, the reasons why I'm not and why I feel that we shouldn't look at this home. Um, and again, let's be honest, you're going to see a house that's over your price point. Of course, you're going to fall in love with it. And that's house. every time that I show your house, you're always going to compare it to that house. So I don't want to go down that road if we don't have to. Exactly. But then on the flip side of that, Tina, sometimes, like when I'm working with people, I do like to give them a range. Absolutely. Because sometimes, and this happened with me when I mentioned the second house, had I stretched the budget a little bit more, Absolutely. I could have been so much better off in a lot of ways because the house that we bought was a fixer, mm-hmm. and we thought we could fix it up for a certain number, and it ended up being triple that. Right. Or you think you could fix it up for this this number, and then, right? Right. <laughs> and, I, and I looked at that, and I looked back, and, of course, buyer's remorse, and I said, if I did, because I could have, you know, I was approved for more, mm-hmm. and had I gone up to that limit, I probably would have found something that did not require all that repair. Right. And I think that's where an, um, a, a knowledgeable agent um, can also, like, when you're looking at houses, can also have that conversation with you. Like, this is great, but just know that this home, even though it fits within your price range, this needs a lot of work. And again, I'm not an expert in structural, you know, I'm a realtor, I'm not an attorney, I'm not an engineer, I'm not an electrician, this, whatnot. But what I can say is, it looks like it needs some work. You might want to have some you know, a second, somebody come in and take a look at it, you know, have, with your inspection, maybe you want to have somebody look at that, does that need to be updated, and then look at the costs of that, and then determine, wow, it's going to cost a lot to have it, maybe we should look at a home that already has this, and right. that's, right. I think, where we do a lot of, um, not, I think that's my job to make you, to do a little of the homework for you, and make it, make you aware of those sorts of different scenarios, of right. what could and be. And then at, at that point, maybe even the borrower comes to me and instead of using a conventional loan product or even an FHA loan product on that specific house, if they realize all of the work that needs to be done and how much it costs and they're okay with making those changes and they want to make those changes, instead of using one of those traditional loan products, maybe they come to me and we structure their loan a little bit differently and we use, per se, like a 203K loan. And the way that works is... Your loan amount, so you, you know, your loan amount may be 500000 but the purchase price is three hundred or 400000 And wait a minute, that means that the loan amount's higher? And yes, that's how a 203K loan works. We actually build in costs for construction and costs for fixing up the home into that loan amount. So now if the home, if you're buying it for three hundred, but you have a 500 loan amount, you have two hundred k. Uh, to use to make those renovations and those fixes. Mm-hmm. No, that's um, those are all good, good tips because these are the things that most buyers have no idea, and everything looks impossible. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, like from my perspective, I get great satisfaction out of seeing somebody attain a goal. Mm-hmm. And I have a young lady that um, working, still working with her, and she came to me and she said, "I want to buy a home." But this is, she already owned a home. She had a condo in Boston that she was selling. So she had that to sell. And she said, this is what I want. I don't want to even have to bring in a paintbrush. I want everything exactly the way I want it. I don't even want to have to change colors. So I said, well, the odds of you finding that, That unless the only color you liked is white, 
the odds of you finding that level of specificity and that level of perfection are like non-existent unless you build. Correct. And she said, can I afford to build? I said, let's figure that out. <laughs> and sure enough, and she had a couple of towns in mind, and I said, you might have to compromise on the town because where you're looking is a very expensive community and there are, isn't a lot of open land. Mm -hmm. So if you're open to being flexible, I feel very good that you can find what you want. And that's what she did, and she found the perfect house. Oh, that's great. The perfect lot for the house. The perfect lot. She loved the builder. Everything just went right through. It was just, you know, took the amount of time he said it was going to take. And she could have had a better situation. And she was just bouncing off the walls with excitement. That's great. Yep. So I think having a plan... You know, really having, going through that exercise with yourself of really knowing yourself enough to what is it that you really want, and then having good people around you to make it happen is really essential to any success. It doesn't matter whether it's buying a house or it's, you know, doing, buying a car, it doesn't make any difference what you're doing, even vacations, you know. <laughs> you, know you don't want to end up in Vegas if that's not your jam. Right, right. <laughs> So, um, you know, it's great. And I, I just like to know, um, Montana, what got you into your field of being in mortgages? What is it yeah. about, like, being there that you're really passionate about, that you're glad you're there? I'm really passionate about. I would say what attracted me most about the business. And so I've now been in the lending business for just about, like, three and a half, just under four years now. And I wasn't always an originator. I started off by shadowing someone and then assisting and then moving into, you know, some processing roles. And then I ended up getting my license and moved into a sales role, which is what a mortgage loan originator is. is you go out and you find the business and you, close, and you originate the loan and you close that business. Um, and what I love most is really the sales part of things. And I remember at, at one point in my career, I would ask myself, like, I don't know, is this, you know, is this going to be for me? Because I was at a networking event and I was working the room. I, you know, I think I have that ability to work a room and to talk to people. Um, but I realized it was not fulfilling at all because I was having a bunch of service level conversations. And so I wondered, like, is this going to be the career for me? And so I took some time to think about it. And then I had this epiphany and was like, wait a second, I don't have to run my business the way everyone else runs their business. I don't have to have such a salesy approach to my business and have those surface level conversations. There's no reason why I can't build those true deep connections with my clients and with my referral partners. And um, that's when I really fell in love with the business is realizing that I can have those one-on-one -on -one conversations and those deep, you know, relationships with people. Um, and that is what fulfills me the most about my career is just like learning about people. You know, I love to dive into people and learn what their values are and, you know, what their best, their achievements are and their failures are and what's on their bucket list. That That's, you know, my favorite part of the job. What about you, Terry? Well, Tina? I think for me, I could say it's similar. I never in a million years thought I would ever be doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. oh, really? Never. Okay, so never. what were you doing? Like, I was. It, I've always been in financial services, and I was in insurance, and I was doing employee benefits for groups and things like that. I've done all kinds of different things. And a colleague had mentioned financial planning to me, which was fairly new at the time. Mm -hmm. 
And he said, I think you'd really be good at that. And I'm like, what? So I pursued it and, you know, kind of kept it in the back of my mind and looked into it. But at the time, when I was going into it, the thing that really turned me off was insurance companies had led the charge with financial planning, like Ameriprise and, you know, nothing wrong with those companies. And they were the ones that kind of put financial planning on the map. What they didn't do, though, in my opinion, is they didn't use financial planning as a real tool to help people. It was really a tool to sell insurance. Now, for some folks that maybe didn't have enough life insurance or, you know, didn't have the things they need, yes, that's really important because if you've ever seen anyone where the breadwinner dies and there's not enough insurance, it's an ugly scene. So that's a definite service that they were doing. I'm not taking anything away from that. But when I looked at the planning process as a professional, I thought this is such a great opportunity to really help people identify what's important in their life, not just the numbers. Let's look beyond the numbers. Let's talk about their values. Let's talk about what their quality of life, what are they trying to attain? What's the legacy or the footprints in the sand that they want to leave behind? So like you, Montana, and like you, Tina, I had to re, kind of reinvent the work that I was doing to make it fit what worked for me. And I'm thrilled that I did that. It took me about 20 years to really reformat what I was doing and get it to a place where I felt that I could really take a deeper dive into what people really want. And that's the thing that's very satisfying is when I see them get that clarity and get that vision of, oh, I can create this life. Like you're talking about the person that never thought they could buy a house. I see things like that all the time. They never could visualize themselves being in this really good position. And now here they are. And it wasn't pixie dust. It wasn't a magic wand. It was work. Mm -hmm. It right. was, but they had the work because they had somebody giving them the step-by-step -step of giving you the recipe. There was guidance. There was guidance, and that's, but they followed it. Mm -hmm. And when people take what any of us do to heart and they really follow our advice, and I'm not saying we don't, you know, have some things that could, we could have said it better or done it differently, but when for the most part they really trust their advisor and they work with them and do the work, the outcome is so rewarding. I mean, it's rewarding for me to see that, to be on the other side, be their cheerleader and say, you did this. Yeah. You've got this. I am. And I think that's where confidence is built. I remember someone telling me one time, if you follow through and you do the things that you say you're going to do, you do the things that you want to do when you say you're going to do them, and then you end up following through, that's where confidence is really built. And so not only are you helping someone attain these goals, but you're helping shape them into a more confident strong human. Right. And that's such a great point, Montana, because if if you're telling somebody you're going to do something, whatever it is, you're giving them your word. Mm -hmm. And if you don't follow through, then if you're saying yes to something, you know means nothing. Mm -hmm. Because if they never they they just don't know what's gonna come out of you next and exactly. they don't have any confidence in you. Right. And you, Tina, what got you into real estate? I know you've been doing this a long time. Um, yes, yeah, so I, um, it was a definitely, like, you know, you said earlier, um, Terry, like doing something different. So this was a career change for sure. But I've always loved real estate. I've always had friends that were in the field. Um, they always said, oh, we would be great at doing it. But it just wasn't the right time. Um, and then um, finally one day I'm like, you know, I I'm just, I'm ready. I need to do something. And um, I 
get, went online and thought, okay, what are the qualifications? What do you need to do? Because things have changed. And um, it was, you know, you have to go to take, you know, 40 hours of class, take a test, and then get your license. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So it was a Tuesday. I signed up on Tuesday. I started real estate school on Saturday. Did it for a month. Finished the 40 hours. Went and got my license. And uh, here I am. So it was just one of those things. But I've always loved it. And um, for me, like, you know, we had all said, it's just that the best feeling of being able to help someone. And I just, every day, I'm just so blessed that I get to help people. And it's, you know, talking about it, thinking about it, you get emotional. Like, you get so invested in your clients. And it's just, you know, nothing more fulfilling and more rewarding than having them have this dream, working with a great team, and then going through, showing them houses, making offers, having their offer accepted, having the loan get that, you know, you know, CLC, clear to close, you know. Um, the, it, 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 that's like, the, you hear clear to close, you're like, oh, my gosh, it's like it's the best day. We're going to do our final walkthrough. And then tomorrow or tonight, you know, this afternoon, we're going to hand you the keys to your new home. So um, that, to me, is just amazing. And then you get invested in these people. They become your friends. And then, you know, it's their first home. And then you get, you know, you keep in touch with them. And you find out, you know, they're having a baby. And then, you know, next thing, they're having a second baby. And then they're friends. And, they're, you know, it's all a referral business. And that's the thing. You Like, you, you build this amazing, you know, referral network from these folks, and they like and trust you, and they want to share what you've done with their family and friends, and, you know, that's just what's so amazing about what what, and what I do. I, I, like I said, I'm screaming from the rooftops, but it's just such a great thing, and, you know, to your point, Montana, you know, yeah, there are days I feel like, oh my gosh, like, I don't, I, I didn't go, I don't have a, a, a psychology degree, but I feel like I might be a psychologist, <laughs> like, yes, um, and I think, too, sometimes people just need to have somebody that listens, and they're kind, and they're compassionate, and they just, they, they care about what it is, and I do, I care about each and every one of my clients, and yeah, we always have, you know, not everything is perfect, but I think we try to at least have the conversations, um, and if there are, you know, the worst call I have to make is, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, your offer wasn't, your offer wasn't accepted, like, that's devastating, but I am of the philosophy that, you know, there's something better out there. So this wasn't the home for you, but we're going to continue, and we're going to find that perfect home for you. Absolutely. And that's pretty much how I think I go about my day every day, and it's just so rewarding. Definitely. Well, I think that you, you really hit on something, and I think you, know, you too, Montana, that when we're working, we're working with people. We're not working with, like, a transactional lineage. Correct. We're working with humans that have a, a goal of finding a home. Right. You know, whether it's how much can I afford, and they ask me those questions. And then I defer to folks like yourselves and say, okay, let's put this package together. But I think that what we do that's so essential is being that empathetic listener. And when you're listening with empathy, you're listening with your heart, not your ears. And then you're hearing what they're not saying. And when you have that information, now you can act on it in a way that is just going to move mountains for them. Because you're, it, it, it might be psychology, I don't know what it is, I think it's empathy, and that's just how I perceive it, is that if you can really pull out of them in a very subtle way what it is they really want, like what is the ultimate goal, what does this really, what does a home mean to them? Right. Now you can really see, okay, I can picture where you should be. Right. And we can put that together. 
Yeah, and I always say that, like, yeah, I can show you a million houses, but really, ultimately, at the end, it's your home. Right. And that's really what it is. And it's like some people, they know when they, you know, you, when they walk in, you can just see it in their eyes. You can just see it in their body. Like, you can just see, like, I don't know if it glows from home, what I have, but you just, you just kind of know, wow, this could be, I think this is the house, and you can just feel. So you hope... Um, being the professional that you are, that your offer is the best offer and that you are able to negotiate for them so that they do get that dream home. So, yeah, it's rewarding, that's for sure. And like you said, empathy, I think that's I think that's so true. Well, so. I, I know when um, the home that I'm in right now, I have that feeling. Like I, I don't know how many houses I looked at. I was looking for over four years. Wow, wow, and wow. You know, I'd see things, but then my husband didn't like them. Mm-hmm. And, no, but when I walked into this home, and it wasn't even in the town that we wanted to live in, mm-hmm. so that was interesting. I walked in, and I just had a feeling. And my husband was behind me, and he walked in, and he had the same feeling, which he never gets that feeling. So I said, I think this is the one, and it was. And what was interesting is we, we made an offer that we felt was based on the environment at the time. It was a fair offer. We negotiated a little bit back and forth. And um, I know that the seller, the husband, really wasn't happy with the number. I know that. But we were the only people that there was a time when real estate was Yes, was there was down. only one offer. And, and we were it. We were the only game in town. And they, they didn't have to accept it. Mm-hmm. They could have kept going. Right. But they accepted it. So you accept it. You know, don't don't come whining to me because you wanted the number to be bigger. You accepted what I offered yeah, you, exactly. and we were a solid buyer. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was helping my father sell his house, we had somebody who came in with an offer above asking. And of course, my father was just like you know, ready to extravagant. Oh God, <laughs> he was just oh he was off the wall with that. And he said, oh, we got to take. And I said no. They're not a qualified person. They're not qualified. You can offer whatever you want. If there's no ka-ching on the register, it's not going to get you to the closing table. And I found a buyer that didn't offer as much, but I knew they were solid. And everything went right through. Right. Right. And, again, you never know what the seller's looking. Like, you can have, representing, um, you know, if I'm a seller's agent, I have the conversation with my clients. You know, what is it that you're looking for? Sometimes they're looking for the most amount of money. Other times, this has been a home that they have raised their children, their grandchildren come to, and it's just too big for them. There's so many memories in this home, and they want somebody that's going to love their home as much as they've loved it over the years. Right. So just because somebody comes in necessarily with that higher number, they might not have the same as the offer that might be a little bit lower, but they just, the agent has, you know, let us know that, you know, they love their home. There's, you know, whatever the scenario is, it's not always about that number. Right. Sometimes the qualifying factor is character. Well, this was fun. Yeah, Any final thoughts? I want to open it up to questions also and let people know that, you know, throughout our next episodes or even on this one, they can leave comments, ask questions, or email us questions if they have any most topics that they might want us to chat about, um, examples that they may want us to talk about. That way, in our next episodes, we can be sure to hit on those. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, in the environment that we're in, it's challenging. And I think now more than ever, it's important to have a team around you to guide you through all of this because, I mean, I I go back 40 years, more than 40 years ago when I bought my first home, and, of course, the landscape has changed considerably, 
and even in the time that, you know, I'm sure Montana, you've been doing this work for almost five years, and even in that short period of time, things have changed Absolutely. dramatically, and Tina, for yourself as well, I mean, nothing stays still, and I think you need to have people beside you and around you that can really help you navigate whatever it is that's going on right now. Absolutely, and that's what it's about, whether it's real estate or life in general. It's exactly. It's surrounding exactly. yourself with people who are going to hold your hand, lift you up, right. spread positivity, and you know, that's what it's about. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This was great. And we'll have all of our contact information in the show notes. Absolutely, and feel free to ask us any questions that you